All right, well, if you are new here today or you've been with us for a little while, we're going through our Exodus series. And so today we're looking at Exodus chapter four. So one of my greatest joys in life is being a counselor. But there's one thing that you need to learn about us counselors. We have a very specific wheelhouse. It's a wheelhouse we enjoy. It's a wheelhouse that we're called to. And outside of that wheelhouse, our uses drastically start to fall. For example, as a counselor, uh, sometimes, especially living in Virginia for nine years, I got invitations to go hunting. As a counselor, I've only been invited once, never twice. You know why? A lot of guys, you know, they, they put on all the camo. They love to go into nature where it's just quiet and, and they just connect with the silence and they connect with God. I'm an extrovert that likes to talk about feelings. So, you know, we're, we'll be sitting in the blind and, you know, Bambi appears and the gun gets cocked and you're getting ready to pop a cap in Bambi. And inevitably, I'm going to be like, how's your marriage? Or, you know, we're, we're sitting in the blind and we're calling in the ducks and, and they're coming in and you just start to see everyone start to get like ready and they're lined up and they're having a blast. I'm like, so what are the most predominant feelings and thoughts that you're having lately? And then I realized that the guns start to get turned off of the birds and slowly onto me. <laughs> or for me, I like to moisturize. I'm a little bit of a metrosexual. I love that kind of stuff. And so you know what I'm going to do before hunting? I'm going to put on some Jean-Paul Cartier. <laughs> you get into the blind and they're like, Matt, what's that smell? I was like, well, I decided to put some cologne on. And they're like, you don't do that when you go hunting. Here's some deer urine. Pause. <laughs> you want me to put What? on me? Okay, so first of all, question number one, how did you get that? Like, talk about a divine calling of the right place at the right time, let alone the fact that there's an industry that sells deer urine. And so you start to see that I can go on these tangents like I'm doing right now. I'm going to pause because sooner or later an elder is going to come up and take the mic off of me. (laughs) You see, we all have zones of comfort, zones that are familiar to us. And then there's sometimes in seasons of life, we find ourselves in a place we would not choose. In places that we do not feel comfortable in. Remember that moment of your salvation? Where God was showing you by the power of his Holy Spirit who you're not, yet who he is? And he's drawing you out? Is that not a beautiful moment in your life? You know what? You want to get a little bit more targeted? What about a point in your life where the Lord has drawn you to that you just would not sign up for? A point in your life that you're just like, this is not comfortable, familiar, or how I would choose it. And yet, that seems to be one of the modes in which the Lord works in our lives and in the lives of God's men. And we just saw that in Exodus 4 as we expound upon it a little bit more. Before we start to push in, church, will you pray with me? God, I thank you. It is no coincidence that every man and woman is here today. And as we're talking about unlikely servants, fragile servants, moments where we just find ourselves in situations we would not sign up for and we just wish, honestly, would just go away. We know that you are a God of grace. You, we know that you are a God of comfort. 
And Lord, I don't pretend to know what's in front of me today, and that's why I'm asking, Holy Spirit, just give a double portion of yourself in this sanctuary right here and right now. Would we bring who we actually are, not who we wish we were, not who we are on social media? Would we just bring who we are today? And would you meet us in a comforting, powerful way? And as a result, would we worship deeply? In Christ's name, amen. So we've seen in the last three chapters of the, of the book of Exodus, we've seen the cry of the Israelites go out. We see them in bondage. We see them in slavery. That we see in chapter two, we start to see this guy is born and his name is Moses. And you already start to see the divine hand of God and protection on his life before he even knows God himself. Then in chapter three, last week, Kai was preaching on the burning bush. That, that moment where, where, God, where Moses, who is just a lowly shepherd, who was once a prince of Egypt, is encountering a holy ground and a holy God. And we see in chapter three, God's calling on Moses and God unveiling the plans. Now chapter four is beautiful for this reason. We see Moses' rebuttal. It's one of those things that you're like, oh man, if I was making a Christian movie, I probably wouldn't put that part in there. But I love how real and raw the word of God is. And so in Exodus chapter four, my first point is this. In deliverance, an unlikely servant is drawn out. You see, last week, Kai's points were, we are small and God is big. And in chapter four, now we start to see how a big God is going to use a small Moses. Look at the Moses that the Lord is calling in chapter four. You see, chapter two, Moses is a prince of Egypt. In chapter four, he's a dirty shepherd. You see, God is birthing a calling in Moses' life. In a stripped down Moses, not a built up one. This is not Moses with many accolades. This is Moses smelling like sheep. You see, God is not desiring to use powerful men in powerful places. In fact, God is using Moses at his most unlikely time. If Moses submitted his resume right now, you would not hire him. And yet, God has a way of using vessels who are also aware of their weaknesses. God has a way of using unlikely, not likely, unlikely servants and drawing them to him to do his plans. And here we see Moses is being called out. We haven't seen him part the Red Sea yet. We haven't seen him do some pretty cool stuff in Egypt. We just see a guy rebuttaling the Lord in a private little area. But why does God use unlikely servants? Why does God using a stripped down desert stricken Moses? Why is God using an afflicted Job? Why is God using a thorn inflicted Paul? You see, God has this fascinating way of working in men and women that he's going to use. He sovereignly brings them to a place of brokenness with no accolades to lean upon so he can demonstrate his power in them and through them. Look at this unlikely servant Moses currently is. 
you know, here's me. Here's me outing insecure me. If I have a plan, I want the, like the, I want the Prince of Egypt, Moses. Could you think of how many resources that guy had? The most powerful nation in the world. I want, I want the Prince of Egypt, Moses. He knows the right people in the right places with the right resources. That's the Moses you use, and that's not the Moses God wants. You know why? Because if he is going to be used by God, the Lord is going to remove all of his pillars of comfort so that Moses has to depend upon the Lord in the way a prince of Egypt never would. This isn't just good for Moses. This is good for us. You see, the Lord is in the business of using broken people. You see it in Isaiah 66, one through two. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me? Pause, what an insulting first verse. Never seen that one on a coffee mug. What the Lord just outed is, I have done everything. I have made everything. I have all the power. What do you have? That's verse one. But then verse two goes on to say, but this is the one to whom I will look. You wanna cheat, cheat into God's heart towards his people? The Lord goes, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Did you see those three ingredients? Humble, broken, and has an awe of my word. Ladies and gentlemen, neither of those three things are skills. They're postures of the heart. There's a lot of skills Matt King does not have. But one thing the Lord has given me the ability is how I choose to posture my heart. And like Moses, we're all unlikely servants of the Lord. And the Lord desires to use men and women who are fragile and know their need of them. Why? 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to the Lord and not us. The Lord desires to use fragile vessels why? Why would he ever choose that? If Matt would want to stack his team with strong vessels, and the Lord is going, no, I'm choosing fragile vessels. I'm, I'm intrigued. You see, God is using jars of clay like Moses, like me, and like you to show the treasure that we are filled with is far more powerful than the jar that contains it. One more time. God is using jars of clay like Moses like you and like me, to show that the treasure we are filled with is far more powerful than the vessel that contains it. See, God has a tendency of drawing out unlikely servants. Why? Because when an unlikely servant, nothing more than a fragile clay pot, does something profound, nobody attributes it to the pot. They attribute it to the treasure that was within it. They attribute it to God. Nobody looks at a fragile clay pot and be like, look at that pot. That's a nice pot. I like that pot. No, pause. No, what they're seeing here is, oh my goodness, this fragility, this, this, this insignificant vessel in and of itself suddenly becomes significant. It has nothing to do with the clay in and of itself. It has everything to do with what is within it. I don't know about you, but it's not just behind this pulpit. Any fragile clay pots here today say Amen. Now, I could end the sermon here, but that'd be too cute. It would be a corny Christian movie. We would end with a Chris Tomlin song. 
And some of us would go watch football. Not me. I'm going to go watch home and garden television. Whatever. (laughs) But what we're about to continue to see in chapter 4 is to see a fragile clay pot rationalize his way into disobedience. Fascinating. Like, like if God was really into the public relations business, he would have really have to change a lot of his word. But what I love, greater than Moses' rationalization of disobedience, you know what you're gonna see? God's love saying, I'm not releasing you. You see, in Exodus 3, God's unfolding his plan to Moses. Exodus 4 has a lot of Moses' rebuttals to the Lord. Look at me in verse, like chapter 4, verse 1. Look, who cares what Matt says? Look at 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Rebuttal one, they're not gonna listen, Lord, why bother? Verses two through five is God's response, check it out. Then the Lord said to him, what is this that is in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and then it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, their God, pause, that they may believe the Lord. Not that they may believe Moses, that they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. You see, if you go back one chapter in in chapter three, in verse 18, it says God had already said, they will listen to you. And then in chapter four, Moses is arguing, but they're not going to listen to me. And, but watch this, you ready? God is saying, do it. Moses is saying, I can't. And then God is saying, I'll be with you. Watch the fulfillment. Watch the fulfillment of God's promise. It's in verses 30 through 31, if you want to hop to the back. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And then the first four words of verse 31, and the people believed. What was Moses' fear? They weren't gonna believe. What happened? They believed, why? Because God said, I'm doing it. I love this. We literally just went through a threefold dialogue with God. Moses saying, I cannot, God saying, you will, and God then fulfilling it. I love that equation. It's a very freeing equation for me, this clay pot. And you know what? You see some of the grace of the Lord, right? Because like, if I'm the Lord, I'm just, I'm just, oh, I'm angry. How do I know this? I'll relate this to my marriage. And you'd be like, wow, the preacher needs Jesus. Answer is yes. So have you ever been married and you just see something in your spouse? And you're like, I see this in you. I see this in you. I see this in you. And they're always like, mm, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't, I, I don't think so. And then suddenly they have like one conversation or they go to one conference and they come back to you and you're like, oh my goodness, I see this in me. And you're just staring at them. And you're thankful they see it, but on the same note, you're like, I've been saying that for years. And this one person one time comes in and blows your mind. Are you serious? Right? And... Okay, so not many people are not along. Okay, so the counselor was a full-time job and a full-time counseling load is the only sinner in the room. Okay, all right, that's fine. I'm okay with that, that's fine. But you start to see that the Lord is going, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And, and then Moses is like, I can't do this. It's not gonna happen, they're not gonna believe. And then it suddenly happens. And the Lord wasn't like in verse 31 when the people believed. The Lord wasn't like, whoo. The Lord is going, no, I know every chess piece of this game, Moses, you don't. 
this, then like you start to see God in his grace is not letting Moses wiggle out. Moses, this is fascinating. Who is he talking to? God, he's having a vertical conversation with horizontal fear. Think about that one more time. He's having a completely vertical with the Lord himself conversation about horizontal feel. Lord, I can't do this. I don't think they're going to like me. I don't think they're going to listen. Isn't that fascinating? And you could read that and be like, stupid Moses. And then you're like, is that not most of my prayer life? Going to the holy God with horizontal fear. Now, I could close in prayer right now, but that would still be too cute. Moses wants to go another round with the Lord. And it continues in verse 10. Check it out. But Moses now says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Okay, so here's rebuttal two. No, I'm not really that great with my mouth. Look at the Lord's responses in verses 11 through 12. Go with me to the word of God. Then the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now again, I could close in prayer and that's too cute. Watch the climax of Moses's rationalization towards disobedience. Moses now rebuttals the Lord again in verse 13. Check it out. But he, meaning Moses, said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. The first two kind of rebuttals were cute. I'm just not that great. I'm just not that wonderful. Don't have that many Instagram followers. And then finally Moses just goes, Just get somebody else. You ready? You ready about to see the hand of the Lord so loving but firm with Moses? Check out verses 14 through 17. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Pause. Again, not on a lot of coffee mugs. Not a lot of churches talking about this aspect of the character of the Lord, but let's read it through. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming to you to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be your mouth. Look at that. I will be your mouth. Your mouth isn't that great? That's fine. I'm your mouth. My mouth is that great. I will be your mouth. And with his mouth will speak will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in this hand, this staff with, with which you will do wonders. You see, make, make, make no mistake. Are you ready? When God calls his children, he's not asking. He's demanding obedience. We've created a little bit too cute of a God in our culture to understand this. We've boiled down spiritual obedience in our lives and God's commandments to a cute divine suggestion. You know why we've made it a suggestion? 
because church culture has boiled down the nature of God so much that God is a lonely, homeless beggar, desperate for attention, that he will settle for whatever we choose to give him. God in his grace does not allow clay pots to excuse themselves from the Lord's work because of their fragility. He will not allow clay pots to hinder the treasure inside that that treasure wants to do in and through them. God's not looking for Moses to do a demonstration of Moses. God is looking for Moses to use Moses so that God can do a demonstration of himself to Moses, through Moses, to both the Egyptians and the Israelites. There isn't a day of Moses' ministry that God's like, I really want to use you at the best of your abilities. Said God never. The Lord is interested in doing his work by his power in and through us, even in the confusing situations, even in the situations we would not sign up for, like Moses is going, I'm not signing up for this. This was not on my radar. I don't want to do this. Why? Because in chapter three, it said the Egyptians will not listen to you unless they see a mighty hand. Moses' hand isn't mighty. The Lord's hand is mighty. You gotta understand what God is about to do in Egypt isn't cute. What God is about to do in Egypt isn't very nice. You know why? Did you see some of the miracles God did right there with Moses? You saw two that are very specific. His rod turns to a what? A staff. And then he said, take the river from the Nile and I'm gonna turn it into what? Blood. You wanna know two significant meanings since none of us are really from ancient Egypt? Did you know that the snake, and you often saw it on the Pharaoh's hat, was a sign of divine protection? Did you know that the Nile was their sign of life? And God is going, I'm going into Egypt and I'm gonna lord their lords. No wonder Moses feels inadequate. But yet the Lord keeps going, I am with you. I will do it. Just be the vessel. It's okay, you're a clay pot. I'm not. God is about to do a miraculous work that he's about to display his lordship to both the Egyptians and the Israelites at the same time. Who's he trying to demonstrate? Himself. Who's he not trying to demonstrate? Moses. You see, the reason why God is so secure in this dialogue is because God has this eternal perspective while Moses only has the temporal. Think about that. That's how the Lord has this security that Moses doesn't have. The Lord is going, I know how this plays out. I know all the days before there were any of them. And Moses is just trying to take today as today. I mean, he just saw a staff turn into a snake and ran away. He's just taking it kind of moment by moment. He's living in the moment like the modern millennial. But you start to see that like the Lord is not accepting the excuses of Moses. And that's good news for Moses. And that's good news for you and for me here today. We are creatures of excuse, especially when it comes to our spiritual lives. What worldly excuses are you tempted to give in your disobedience? Think about that. What in your heart when the Lord draws you out and calls you to obedience are your first lawyer rebuttals? Lord, I can't because of X, Y, Z. And if your lawyer is anything like mine, he's greasy and he charges $3.50 an hour. He's really good at what he does. See, I'm not here to look at you today and say, you know what? You're going to go part the Red Sea. 
I'm not saying you're doing that. But what simple acts of obedience are you trying to skirt out of today? You, you want to land this one hard? Men, how are you doing at leading and loving your wives like Christ? You think that's a divine suggestion? You think you're going to see the Lord one day and he'd be like, well, I just thought it was a really cute idea. Really wanted you to try it, but don't worry. No, it's not a divine suggestion. It was not a request. It's an act of obedience for us as the sons of God to do this in our marriages and with our kids. You ready? Number one rebuttal. My dad didn't do it. I don't know how to do it. And you know what you sound like in that moment? Love you enough to say it. You sound like Moses going, I'm not eloquent of tongue. And the Lord's like, did I not make your tongue? Did I not know your father's situation? Did I not know the household that you grew in? By the way, I've given you a greater father than your earthly one. And I put my spirit within you. You might not be able to, but why am I so inept to be able to? We can so easily, not just in these huge, abstract, giant, awesome things with the Lord, we can disobey through rebuttals in our heart on just average day-to-day obedience so easily. What are yours? I know what mine are. You want me to, have a, you want me to out myself in front of all of you? Yeah? Okay. You're going to be like, wow, this pastor really needs Jesus now. I knew he needed Jesus on point one. I think he needs to get saved on point two. But it's this. In this season of being sick in the last six months, I've lost the ability to read. Standing is difficult. You know what's really important for sermon prep? Reading. I've had to have people read things to me to help me to be able to get through the passages and what the passages are saying. And it's so funny that I got Exodus 4. I didn't ask for it. I didn't sign up for it. I got a text message from Kai. And I was like, yes, boss. And, it, and ultimately, I was like, oh, wait, no, yes, Lord. Yes, boss. Okay. And so, <laughs> and so in this moment, I'm like, why are you calling me? I'm literally looking at my Bible, and I can't make out the words. And I'm like, you're going to get me to proclaim this? How am I supposed to herald the thing? I'm looking at it, and it just looks like, looks like a BP oil spill. And I'm just like, I can't make sense of what I'm looking at. Why are you calling me to do this? And up pops these great rebuttals against the Lord. No, send Marshall. (laughs) He's got the Moses beard, just ginger, right? So why not get him to bring Exodus 4 today? And the Lord is like, no, 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 no. You think I need your ability to read? Do you think I need your strength or your X, Y, Z? Come under my obedience. I'm not releasing you from it. Any other clay pots here today? Say amen. Amen. See, God has plans, but there's also an element of direction to them. He's taking us from point A to point B, and we need to be equally as obedient at point A as we do as we transfer to point B. Everything that God calls Moses to do, it's deliberate, it's calculated, it has a purpose, it's not random. We are his children And as Moses is an unlikely servant, we are an unlikely servant. And he has a way in unlikely servants to, in point one, draw out to himself unlikely servants. In point two, we see that he likes to direct unlikely servants. For what? Why? And it's this, point three. It's to display the unlikely servant. Not a unlikely servant, the And there's a huge difference between the A and the V. The point of Exodus isn't Moses. 
And the point of Moses isn't you. The point of Exodus isn't our Red Seas that we're going to part with a yoga mat and more positive thinking. The point is Moses is a forerunner to a greater deliverer who is not delivering this greater deliverer. He's not delivering us from a modern day Pharaoh. He is delivering us from sin and condemnation. How do I know this is true? Hebrews 3 actually starts to illustrate Moses and Christ. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, if you're taking notes, write that down. Look at what it says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle, the high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful to to God in God's house. For Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of Uh, but the builder is in all things God. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful, ready? Over God's house as a son. It's this. God, Moses was mightily used as a deliverer to point to a greater deliverer. You ready? If you know Christ, you never move past this point. There is one who perfectly obeyed with no rebuttals and no disobedience. Moses is a faint flicker to the faithfulness of Christ. You gotta understand, Christ is the most unlikely of servants. You're gonna tell me that the son of God perfect and holy, took your unrighteousness off and put it on himself and in exchange gave his righteousness to you. Does that make sense? No. Is it beautiful? Yes. Like, I, I'm not gonna lie, I wouldn't make a very good angel, right? Like, if we went to, like, before the foundations of the earth, and we're all just chilling in the heavens, and, you know, I'm in my robe with my harp and my little halo, and I hear the Trinity have this conversation of, we're gonna make this man, and he's gonna, we're gonna, be, made in, he's gonna be made in our image. Oh, and, and by the way, they're gonna sin against us. And Christ is like, I choose to die for them. I would've kind of been, like, strumming my harp and been like, pause. What? I, I, don't, I don't get it. That doesn't seem fitting that a holy and sovereign God would die for that which is not holy and which is not perfect. That he would account for all of our sins at a cross. See, the point of the Old and the New Testament all points to the glory of Christ, our deliverer. See, God has a way of using a unlikely servant like Moses, a unlikely servant like me, a unlikely servant like you, to point to the unlikely servant, Christ. And as the worship team comes up, I want to ask you, do you find this reality freeing? Seriously, do you find the reality that God uses unlikely clay pots to do his work through? 
You see, much like Moses, our calling, our purpose, our obedience has more to do with Christ sustaining it than it has to do with us. What's the response of others? What's the response of others and ourselves when the treasure uses clay pots? You want to know what it is? It's found in chapter 4, verse 31. Go there with me right now. And the people believed. And when they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. You ready? They weren't worshiping Moses' tongue. They weren't worshiping Aaron. They weren't worshiping man. They weren't worshiping a clay pot being used. What were they worshiping? The Lord, why? The Lord is the treasure that was using fragile clay pots to reveal his beauty, his goodness, his ear towards the Israelites, his deliverance, his faithfulness, and his goodness to his people. How much of that had to do with Moses? None. How much does it have to do with you here in this seat here today? One of my favorite lines in the counseling room, get over yourself. Get over your strengths. You're not that wonderful. Get over your weaknesses. You're not the point. They worshiped not a jar of clay. They worshiped the treasure. And when God's power is displayed through us, us unlikely servants, the fitting response is a realization of how worthy our God is of worship. I don't know about you, but this morning, worship was just drawing me in. And all I could think about is just this. How fitting it is to worship the Lord as a son and as a daughter of Christ. It just feels like where we're supposed to be. And as Moses was a deliverer, I want us to stand and to worship our greater Moses and our deliverer, Christ. Stand with me as I pray. Father God, the fact that you use fragile clay pots to display a story unlike any other. Sometimes it's just hard for the heart and mind to wrap itself around. And so Holy Spirit, I pray for the clay pots that are in front of me here today, that is up on this worship stage, that is behind this pulpit. Holy Spirit, I pray, meet us in a way that we would know that our deliverer is with us and for us. And Lord, as we worship now, let it not be words on a screen. Let it not be what we do to close in prayer. I pray, Holy Spirit, now would we worship as sons and daughters freed from the Pharaoh of condemnation, freed from the Pharaoh of sin, freed from the, the Pharaoh of separation from God. And we would worship the Christ who didn't part a literal red sea of water, but parted the distance between us and a holy sovereign God so that we could rest and worship in him, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.